Dear friends, beloved, we all make miscalculations from time to time. So, for instance, you thought ten minutes would do to get the bus, but you needed twelve or so, or three evenings to prepare your exams, but at least five would have been needed to pass the exam. Some miscalculations are more worse than others because of missing the bus. You might be five minutes too late at your appointment. Now be aware, in the Netherlands that can have serious consequences. Don't come five minutes too late on your interview and you can shake it. But yeah, some some miscalculations have awkward consequences. The driver looking at his mobile while driving and causing a car accident and people die because of it. Afterwards he says, yes, it was not my intention that people should die because of my fault, yeah, but it happened. It was a terrible miscalculation. Now today in the passage that Neil just read for us, we heard about pilots miscalculation. And let's be clear, this is one of the greatest miscalculations ever in human history, isn't it? So from a human perspective, it is a huge miscalculation. Pontius Pilate, Roman governor at Jerusalem, far away from Rome, among those barbarian Jews, he thought he could do that. It was very clear for him that Jesus was innocent. He didn't want to condemn Jesus, but, well, because of the pressure and so on, he thought, let's do it, let's condemn the man, and soon it will be forgotten. It wasn't, as we know. So, from a human perspective, what a miscalculation now. Today, almost 2,000 years later, more than 2,000 kilometers from that place, we still talk about it. The whole world knows about it. Even Pilate ended up as one of the two humans who are mentioned in the creed of the Christians, besides of the Son of Man. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned in the Apostolic Apostolic Creed, and Pontius Pilate, under whom Jesus was crucified, condemned. What a miscalculation. But the miscalculation is even much greater and much worse than that. For if you look at the previous passage where Jesus revealed whom he was, the Messiah, the one who would soon be seated at the right hand of the almighty God creator of the universe. This is the man whom Pilate, after his death, would face as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords, as the sovereign ultimate judge. One day this man who stood before Pilate in all humility will come with the clouds of heaven with myriads of angels in glory 
And every man, Pilate also, will stand before Jesus. We will have to face that one day he condemned Jesus to death. What a terrible miscalculation. Now, how did that happen? And why should we learn about that? These are the two questions for this sermon. First, how could that happen? Initially, Pilate did not intend to condemn Jesus. So be aware, Pilate was the Roman governor. He was a non-religious man, not, not interested in the religion of the Jews. Actually, he hated the Jews, we know from extra-biblical history. And that morning they brought Jesus before him, accusing him vehemently. So it was obvious what they wanted. They wanted him to condemn Jesus to death. They were not allowed to put somebody to death by themselves because they were occupied by the Romans. It was Roman law, not their law, not the law of Moses. Compared to some countries where Sharia law is, uh, is vivid among the people, but then the government will say, this is not a country with Sharia law, there is here a secular law. So that was why Pontius Pilate was there to maintain the Roman law. So it was obvious for them that the people who accused Jesus wanted him to condemn Jesus to death. But Pilate would say, unless he transgresses some Roman laws, I will of course not do that. So he did not intend to do that. But they knew how to accuse Jesus. So from the beginning and onwards in Luke's Gospel, it's clear that the religious leaders wanted to see Jesus die. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But they knew that would not make sense to Pilate. Pilate was there, well, to avoid that people would start revolts against the Roman Empire. That people would stir up the people against paying taxes to the Romans or to make themselves a rebel king, those kind of things. If you would do that, even think of that, that would be enough to put you on a cross. The cross was feared. There were crosses everywhere throughout Israel those days, where even those who, who had a slight tendency to be a rebel were crucified. Now Pilate makes his investigation he questions Jesus, and as an experienced judge, it's soon clear to him that this is not the case with Jesus. So he might call himself a king, but it's clear that it is not the kind of king who would rebel against the Romans. He feels it's something about their religion. This is a rabbi they don't like. Now why should he give them what they desire? He's not, he, he's not there for that. So, at first, he draws his conclusion. He says, I find no guilt in him. And then, in fact, the case should have been closed. But, as we saw, it wasn't. Why not? Was more investigation needed? Was the case not clear enough? It was. 
But the people were not content with what Pilate said. That was the reason why the case went on. Pilate hesitated to make his decision, to hold fast to his decision. And when he heard that Jesus' teachings had started from Galilee, he accused Jesus of being a sort of a virus spreader. His, his teaching spread from Galilee even to these places in, in Judea and Jerusalem. Well, then he thought, okay, Galilee, I got an idea. So the case was clear, but he didn't want to be the one who was blamed by that. And therefore he was thinking about Herod. Now, as the Romans knew that the Jews liked to have a king, the Romans said, let the Jews have a king. So Herod was a Jewish king, you could say he was a puppet king. So he was a king, but he would always be loyal to the Romans. But he was a religious man. He was interested, as we know from extra-biblical sources, you can also see it when you study him in Luke's Gospel, he was interested in the paranormal, in the occult, in, the, in, in, in miracles and so on. That's Herod. Now Pilate thought, well, if I send him to Herod, then, then, then Herod can do it. So he can also see that he's innocent, and then they can blame him, or Herod may condemn him. Well, then he's done it, and the case is done for me. That's what he does. Well, so Jesus went to Herod. Herod uh, had long uh, desired to see Jesus. You see this earlier in the Gospel. He was amazed because Herod had killed, had beheaded John the Baptist, and afterwards he heard things again that reminded him of, of John. So he thought, would there have been a resurrection or so? Who is this miracle maker? He would like to see some miracles done by Jesus. Now when Jesus is brought before Herod, Jesus was completely silent. Why? Well, if you behead the one sent by God to warn you for your sins, that is what John had done, if you behead him, kill him, then no words need to be spoken anymore. What has to be said has been said. So Jesus was silent. And because of that, Herod thought, well, then I can mock and deride Jesus with my soldiers and send him back to Pilate with the idea, I will honor Pilate as my supreme. I punish Jesus. That will satisfy the Jews. They will be happy to be laughing at this so-called would-be king. And then Pilate can make the final decision. He can release him, but the Jews will be satisfied. And Pilate indeed appreciates the idea. Well done, Herod. Thank you for honoring me. And he thinks the case is very simple now. So again, when he's back, he didn't expect that that would happen, but when he's back, he appreciates it. So the kings who lived in rivalry, or the, the leaders living in rivalry before, became friends. By the way, there's a few who know Psalm 2. See how it is fulfilled here. Those who are divided among many lines, all of a sudden they find their unity in deriding and mocking Christ, the anointed of God. Now Pilate um, brings the people together, and he will give his final verdict. 
He has already stated that Jesus is innocent one time, and now three times more he states Jesus is innocent. So he says, I have seen that he is innocent, Herod has seen that he is innocent, so now I say he is innocent four times. So my decision is, I will punish and release him. How wicked, by the way. So he should release the innocent, of course, but why should he punish him? Well, he'd punish him to satisfy the angry Jews who were accusing him, so that they might also be happy and that everybody would be happy. But there, as we heard, the story did not end. They were not satisfied with a punishment for Jesus. They would only be satisfied if Jesus would be crucified. So they began to ask that Barabbas, who was indeed such a person who started an insurrection, a murderer, a rebel, that he should be released and that Jesus should be crucified. And then when they start shouting and yelling, Pilate becomes afraid of his own position, of being accused by Rome, of being incapable to keep the Roman peace. He gives in. He says, okay, I have said he is innocent, but you may have him and he should be crucified. And there Pilate makes a miscalculation of extraordinary greatness. So that's how it happened. But why should we hear about it? Why should it be told to us in the Gospel? Now first, of course, it reminds us of the things we see all around us in the world. Corruption. Leaders. Politicians. They say, yeah, well, because of the pressure, because of this, because of that, I can do some unrighteousness. Even judges in some countries. Though the law is clear. Not having the guts to release somebody because of fear of the crowd. So yes, it's a mirror for what happens in the world. But, perhaps we should bring it even closer to ourselves. Luke, who writes for Theophilus, is aware that Theophilus might be able to identify with Pilate. So Luke pays more attention to this story than the other evangelists. Isn't there some mirror in what Pilate is doing for us? Shouldn't we look in the mirror, in, in the way Pilate acts? So, concerning ourselves, who of us can say that when it was clear what you should do, what Christ demanded of us in obedience, it was very clear, the will of God was clear, but we delayed, we postponed, we deferred, we... It was clear on our working place, or in our student association, or perhaps even in our church, that something needed to be said. Why should I be, to be, why should I be the one who says it and, and everybody angry with me? So, we postpone, or we, we think, well, we pass the buck, we, we, we share the responsibility, let, 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 let another one do it, let another one say it. So, yeah. 
something of what we see in Pilate, we may have seen, you may have seen in your own life, if the Holy Spirit shows it to us. The postponing to break with your sin, not to do what you ought to do, what you ought to have started already. And also that other thing what Pilate is doing, he says, well, I will do what is right, I will release Jesus, as well I will punish him. To satisfy the desires of the crowd, isn't that there in our own lives at times? Yeah, we will do what the Lord asks us. I will read my Bible, I will go to church, I will pray and so on. But at the same time, the desires of others, I won't stop them. I, I, I will be with them. Or even the desires within myself, my sinful desires, I won't stop it. I will satisfy it. So isn't Pilate a mirror for us in his behavior, even in his final mistake? That he says, well, you may have him. Don't blame me. I'm a victim. It's because of the pressure that I do it. I don't like it. I don't want it. Don't blame me. I was forced to. Isn't it this an approach that we have many times concerning our sin? Yeah, I think. Yes, I must admit. But don't blame me. I was forced to. I wasn't able to do anything different from this. So, Pilate, if we look at Pilate, isn't there a mirror for us in postponing in passing the buck, in satisfying our desires, in giving in concerning sin, not repenting, not becoming obedient to Christ. His miscalculation, a mirror for our miscalculations. So why is this told to us? And be aware, the story of Pilate does not stand alone. There is Herod in our story. Look at all the stories around the cross. The whole of humanity is gathered around the cross. Jew and Gentile. Herod and Pilate, religious leaders. Jude, Peter. See all these failures. All these terrible miscalculations. Why are we told about these? Well, isn't it to make us aware that we as well will one day face God's day, stand before God and stand before Jesus Christ, the sovereign King, the sovereign good judge. We will see him in glory. We will see him face to face. Are we, are you ready for that day? Are you prepared? You say, I hope so, I assume, I, heard, I, I think I heard God is a forgiving God, so I, I guess, I hope it will be fine. But do we really think we can get away with that? One day a French philosopher, Voltaire, he was mocking Christians. He was not a believer, but I think in his mocking he was a bit right. He said, it seems that Christians always say, well, God forgives. In French, pardonnez to forgive his, his profession. But is that the truth about God and about forgiveness? 
Why do we need to hear this? Well, there is mercy in this. His words are there for us like the rooster crowed for Peter. And Peter was awakened. He was reminded of the words of the Lord. He became aware of his miscalculations. It was not before, but it was after his miscalculation. But it was before the day of judgment. And so it is with us. Why do we need to hear this? Well, around the cross, everyone is put to the test, including Pilate, and it becomes clear that put to the test, no human being is ready to meet God. Nobody is ready for the judgment. So what should we do? Well, throughout Luke's Gospel, as a melodic line, time after time, we heard people cry, Lord! Have mercy on me. For instance, the centurion. For instance, the blind beggar at the gate of Jericho. For instance, the tax collector in Jesus' story. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. So, shouldn't we join those crying that? Not as a formula to save you, a liturgic formula. If you say that, then you're saved. But coming from the heart, from an awareness that in this way, with these miscalculations, you're not able to face the wrath of God. Wrath. Is there wrath in God? When we hear about wrath, we may be thinking of a father who is not able to temper himself, his anger, you are afraid of such a, a father. Well, no, that's not what wrath is. Wrath is God's righteous anger with sin, with evil. It's his good anger with what is wrong. God will save his creation. He will restore it. He will renew it. But can he admit on the new earth, under the new heavens, sinners who will ruin it all again? Who will rebel again? against God again? He can't and he won't. His judgment will be fully righteous. So what you, what we, what everyone needs before judgment comes is to be saved from our sin. From our great miscalculations. They should stop. We should repent. We should turn to the Lord and cry from our heart Oh Lord have mercy on me the sinner. And then, if you do that, you should see in our story that there is more to be seen than Pilate. And around the cross there is more to be seen than human failure. There is Jesus, in whom no guilt was found to be seen. Look at him. Why? Would he soon be put on a cross? Was it a miscalculation? Did Jesus think, well, I can go to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem and it won't happen? No. Not at all. So if you read Luke's Gospel from chapter 9, verse 51 and onwards, repeatedly, continually, Jesus would say that they were going to Jerusalem and that at Jerusalem he would suffer, he would be mocked and derided, he would die, and he would rise. It was not a miscalculation. 
it was Jesus' intention to go there and to die there. Then why? If you read chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus himself explains. So, listen to Jesus' own words in 22, verse 37, where Jesus says, For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. So it's not a miscalculation of Jesus, it is to fulfill the scriptures. It is to fulfill God's plan of salvation. He points here to Isaiah 53. Please, this week, take some time and, and find in your Bibles Isaiah 53 and read the whole chapter. And then you get a clue why Jesus went to Jerusalem to suffer there and to die. Just a few verses. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that Jesus would go there is to fulfill God's plan of salvation. It had been promised already after Adam and Eve made their huge miscalculation. In sinning, it was promised to Abraham, it was promised to David, it was promised to the prophets, and now it would come to its fulfillment. What would Jesus do? Remember what happened when Israel was in Egypt. They cried to God for mercy. They were suffering under oppression by Pharaoh. They were in darkness. They were in bonds of slaves. They cried to God and God would come with wrath to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians. Now were the Israelites better people? Did God not find the sin that was in the Egyptians? He did. But for them God provided for a means to save them from his wrath. They would have an innocent lamb slaughtered for them. The blood of the lamb put on the doorposts of their houses. And the wrath would pass over them. It would not come to them. They would be redeemed. And as they traveled through the desert to the promised land, God would be with them. And yes, because of the law given by Moses, Time after time they would be reminded of their miscalculations, of their sins. But God provided for a means to deal with that. So if they heard the law, were aware of their miscalculations, they could go to the priest. They could bring an innocent lamb. The priest would not search them. The priest would search the lamb. If the lamb was fine, it would be slaughtered. And with the blood of the lamb, the priest for you would enter into the sanctuary, come to God. Now this all points to what the type of is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He knows our miscalculations and we should awaken and like the Israelites cry to God for mercy and then what happens? See Jesus. See the Lamb of God. He, he offers not the blood of animals. He as the priest offers his own blood. 
He is willing to do the will of his Father to bring salvation for those who have been awakened, who have become aware of their mistakes. See him go there. He offers his blood and soon he will enter into the place where God is on our behalf. And where God sees the blood, he sees no guilt. Where God sees the Son and those who are in the Son, he sees children of God adopted in his love. Isn't this an amazing gospel? So, why should we hear about Pilate? We should hear about Pilate to become aware of whom we are ourselves, so that we would look at Jesus. And what are the results of looking at Jesus? And there is one more person whom we should look at. It's Barabbas. Have you seen Barabbas? He made a miscalculation as well. He indeed was one who started an insurrection. He even murdered. He thought he could get away with it. He made a miscalculation. He couldn't. He was found, arrested, imprisoned. And you must be aware that the prison in the Roman times was not what you were condemned to. Prison was the place where you would wait for your condemnation. So in the ancient, ancient times, prison is always the place where you wait for the condemnation. So Barabbas is waiting for the day that the prison doors will open and that the cross will be ready for him. Barabbas, it means son of the father. Perhaps his cross has been prepared. It's already written on it. Son of the father. Here is his place. Now, one day, Barabbas' prison doors are opened and he sees the cross and he sees a man carrying that cross in his place and his chains are gone he can go as a free man thanks to this man who takes his place this is for you, for us my dear friends what the gospel is all about are you ready to meet your maker Don't think, well, my miscalculations are not so big as the of others. No. See the diagnosis made by the gospel. All men around the cross fail. So it shows us our failure. But no, be aware that God shows it to awaken us that we might cry and that we might see the Savior King, Jesus Christ, who took the cross so that we might indeed be forgiven, justified, accepted as children of God. Now one last question, does that mean that, okay, we have received forgiveness, salvation, that we can go on in sin, in our mis in miscalculations, that you say, well, I did it, probably tomorrow I'll do it again, I don't know, but I'll try, but probably it will, will happen again. Of course we can't. So read Romans 6, shall we go on in sin that grace may abound? Well, if we think that way, it is an indication that we have not seen our terrible miscalculation, neither the glory of Jesus, neither the freedom given to us. If we have seen it, then although at times we will sin, in a certain sense we hate sin. 
We can't live for sin any longer. We rejoice because of the grace of God. As Charles Wesley, a few hundred years ago, was writing in his famous song, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke, the, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amen. Let us pray. O oh God, thank you so much that you have mercy on us that you don't want any of us to live on in sin to face one day our miscalculations of sinning against you a good, a merciful, a patient, a kind and a holy God thank you for through your word and through your spirit calling us to repent and to see the glory of your beloved Son going to the cross, taking our place, and rising for our justification, that we might be forgiven, adopted in your family, and inherit eternal life. Oh God, we thank you. Let this good news fill our hearts, so that we share it with others, so that your glory may abound. We pray in Jesus' name.